Welcome to the C3 Church Watson podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. My name is Tim. I am on the youth team here. Woo! And we, um, well, we meet Friday nights, so, you know, if you've got nothing better to do, hit me up Friday nights. It's the place to be. Um, but, whoa. It's Father's Day. I needed to start with a joke because you have to, right? So I looked up best Father's Day jokes. Reader's Digest has 151 that are actually funny, they say. That's the title. Uh, And there was one good one. It said, I read that the law says that you have to uh, drive with your headlights on when it's raining in Sweden. But I don't know when it's raining in in Sweden. Thank you. I'll work on it. The 10.30 will get a better one. Sorry, guys. <laughs> we're about to start. You see, yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, we're about to start a new series. Well, not about to. We're starting a new series on work this morning. Uh, and I am excited. I'm hoping and believing that it's going to encourage us, motivate us, even maybe inspire us a little bit at work. Um, and it's going to remind us to keep our focus where it belongs, even when we're at work. But hopefully I don't have to remind anybody in the room about the significant role that work plays in our life. But in case you needed a bit of reminding, you spend about a third of your life sleeping, eight hours a day, 24 divided by eight, boom, maths. You spend about a third of your life at work as well, if you're lucky. If you're lucky, you know, I see both ways. Some people want more. Um, <laughs> And so by the time you add in all the traveling, the commuting, the getting things ready, work takes up a big part of your life, a huge part of your life. And we look at all the different things and the ways and and what the Bible says about every different area of our life. So it makes sense that we'll do the same with work. So that's exactly what this month is going to be. And it's going to be, we're going to be looking at what it looks like to go to work as a believer, what it looks like to have Christ with us when we go to work to shine his light uh, in the workplace. And there's there's an Australian Christian thinker. He runs a church down in Melbourne, John Mark Comer. And he says, our job is to make the invisible God visible, to mirror and mimic what he is like to the world. We can glorify God by doing our work in such a way that we make the invisible God visible by what we do and how we do it. So that's what we're going to be looking at this month as we crack open the Word and look at what it says to work with God. Do a good work. I forgot there would be a screen. Now, the title for my message today, it's a bit of a question, and it is, what's in your bag? We're going to look at some of the lessons that we can learn from Nehemiah and what we can chuck in, what we can pack with us when we go to work, to help us shine God's light at work. And, you know, whatever bag you take, maybe you're a backpack guy, maybe you're a a satchel girl, I'm a briefcase person myself. But what what are you putting in there to to equip you for the day day that you have before you? And we're going to get into that in a second, but first I want to just explore two fundamental things that we need to know when it comes to work. As we, as we start this whole series, we need to know two things. The first is that work manifests itself in so many different ways. 
you may be currently studying full-time at uni and supplementing your, your, your life, or you might have a part-time job at an indoor skydiving center. And both of these are your workplace. I want that job. Um, maybe you've entered a new work, a new phase of your life. You've had a career growing lawn for 40 years. You're a lawn grower. You come up with good puns on the side of uh, yeah, the, the, the Majura Parkway. Yeah, they're good. And now you've entered a new, new phase of your life where you, you've retired, and so you volunteer your Wednesdays at Vinnie's and you sit on your Probus committee. Well, well, these are your work. Maybe now your nine to five is very hectic schedule managing your toddler's social com commitments, your nine-month-old baby from tummy time to, to, to baby chinos and, and, and play dates, all before their mid-afternoon nap, in which time you have to get everything ready for the next period of time. Never a moment for yourself, I feel for you. Uh, I can't possibly understand all that. But that, that's your work. Maybe you're in this room, I know there's youth in this room who go to school, you've got too much work to do at school and too much homework to do at home. Well, that's your work, and this message is also for you, so don't tune out too much. Or maybe, like me, your nine to five is filled with networking coffees. <laughs> If my boss happens to listen to the podcast, I do plenty of other things too. I, I really do promise. Uh, and welcome to everybody online. I should have said hello earlier, but welcome. But work comes, it's all work. Work comes in so many different forms. And we live in a different, we, we have a different attitude to work than sort of the rest of society. Sometimes people boil work down to its economic contribution to society and they want to work out what its value is and all of that sort of things. But when we apply a biblical principle, a biblical understanding of work, it's not something that can be defined by a role profile or gatekept by an interview and, and remunerated through a salary. Because work is, is so much more than that. With a biblical perspective, we understand that work is something that requires physical and mental energy exertion to produce substance for both for both the people around you and for your culture when you contribute to the culture of your community that is also work so any of the things listed above any of the the roles or, or categories that you might fall into they all contribute either to the substance or the culture of your community and your circle so it's all work the other thing I want to establish is that work is not a bad thing like, sometimes it feels like our society work is always seen as a bad thing. You may have heard of the recent, and, and uh, don't get me wrong, like, sometimes I feel like work is a bad thing. Like, I would give, you know, anything sometimes to just go home. But you may have heard of the Great Resignation. It's all been in the paper in the last sort of 24 months. And there was a recent study of 1,800 Aussies and it found that 38% were looking to change their employer in the next 12 months. And then it had listed down all the different things that they were looking for, some of the biggest categories that they were looking for and reasons why they wanted to change. Number one, 25% of the reason why they wanted to change, better remuneration. They wanted to be paid more. Second one, at 22%, they were looking for better benefits, better well-being, more leave, other, other, other types of support. And you know, I hear, I, I'm not here, my, my day job is to advise management on what to do, but today I'm not. 
I'm not here to look at management and help, and help them make a way forward. And I'm not suggesting that these are not genuine issues or not things that need to be addressed. But, you know, at the heart of it, I, I see people leave my workplace all the time and I see them come back. And it's, the pay is never enough, you know? People are always looking for more money. The leave is never enough. They're always looking for better well-being benefits. There are some people who it's not about the terms and conditions that's going to change their, their, their attitude, but actually it's their perspective about work. They see it as a necessary evil, a means to an end. But in fact, work is good. Work is not bad. We can position it as a chore, a bore, a task that feels like a punishment. And don't get me wrong, I, like, I feel that sometimes. But in fact, it's, it's, it's not that at all. And whilst we might want to just spend our lives sitting on the beach, sink, sipping pina coladas and surfing tubes or whatever you like to do with your time, actually, work is something that we were made to do. See, God worked. In Genesis 2 verse 1, we read that, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. Verse 2, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. God entered the world twice in the Bible. In the first, he's walking around the Garden and it, uh, the Garden of Eden, and it says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, and in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So he's come down to earth as a gardener, and then he comes back in the New Testament as a carpenter and as a teacher in Mark chapter 6, 2 to 3. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. There's his work. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? He worked. Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him. And so whilst it is true that work for man became harder after the fall, it, it was the, the curse of sin was that work would be harder for us. Actually, we were working before the fall too. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work, to work it and take care of it. So work is not inherently bad. It is what we were made to do. And maybe that is the first time you've heard that. Maybe that is the first time that you've had sort of somebody say, no, you don't, you don't have to work so that you can live. You're actually made to work, you know? I hope that even that small truth, even that in that small reframing of, of the story might encourage somebody here today because it's so powerful for how we approach our work. So that, that's the context that's going to set us up for this whole month that actually we were made to work and it's a good thing. So let's get into Nehemiah. We're going to read from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. In the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. 
Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Why don't you join me as we pray this morning? Lord, I thank you that we are made in your image and that we are made as workers. Lord, I thank you that you are going to be doing a good work this month in our church. And Lord, I pray that we will be given some applicable and practical tips that we can take with us on our Monday to Friday. And God, I pray that we will shine your light in our workplaces because we'll work differently. And Lord, I just pray as well that tonight, 2.30, that Arsenal will beat Manchester United and maintain a six out of six undefeated record. Amen. Amen. It's been a good start to the season, everybody. Okay. Now, I, I want to share a story. Some of you will know it straight away. Some of you, get ready. This is a wild ride. In 1960, no, I wasn't born, but in 1960, a fresh-faced college graduate Comes out, of, comes out of school, and he, he, he saved up five grand from life-saving at the local pool. He also gets 50 grand from his in-laws. Hello. Yeah, that is. So Pete's coming to the next service. Father's Day. Um, anyway, he takes the money. He starts an investment firm, and he starts to invest on the, on the stock market. Has a couple of uh, all right years. Like it, it slowly ramps up by the 1980s. He is into technology, and he's got electronic trading systems that he's using to help produce really good returns. And so by the, by the turn of the decade, by 1990, he's making $100 million a year. <sighs> pretty good, pretty good. He's so well-trusted and, and uh, like respected in the, in the community of traders that in 1990, Bernie Madoff gets asked to be the, or he gets appointed to be the chair of the NASDAQ. Does that for a few years, and then comes up with a new idea, new plan, new strategy. It's based on, you know, legitimate trading practices. Can't remember the name, but he get because he, of his trusted position, he gets lots of investors in, and he starts to take their money and and he's he promises them consistent returns between ten and twenty percent, so just bang average, but consistent over time. It's all very it's all very real, and by two thousand and eight based on his level of standing in society and the trust that he developed over multiple decades in the industry, he had attracted $64.8 billion in investment into his fund. But not all was as it seemed. Madoff was funneling all of the money into one bank account, not investing it, and every time somebody wanted to withdraw from it, he would just get new investors, take the money from the bank account, give it to the people, who wanted their money back, wanted their returns, and he would just get somebody else to invest in to cover his losses, right? Classic Ponzi scheme, guys. Classic Ponzi schemes, we're learning things. But Bernie Madoff would have got away with it too, if not for the 2008 GFC, at which point everybody wanted their money back, and he got caught. So he had to return, he had to, he had to own up to his mistake. Well, not mistake, his crime. <laughs> mistake implies it was an accident. Uh, but he had 
he was arrested in 2008 uh, and was sentenced to 150 years in prison. 150 years in prison. That's a lot of life sentences. And I think he was ordered to pay $170 billion or something. That's a lot of money. But Bert, the thing that made Bernie Madoff, you may have heard his name, maybe, uh, made his crime so successful in the worst possible way is that he had developed so much trust in the community and in the investors. It wasn't just like mum, old pension funds that were getting, and mum and dad investors that were getting ripped off. He had billionaire investors from Wall Street. He had celebrities, he had business people all investing in his fund because he was trusted in the position that he was in. Being trusted in our work is one of the first things that we learn from Nehemiah. It's one of the thir first things we learn to pack in our bag as we go to work. And it's what sets us apart in our workplace. Now, I'm not saying that to be set apart in the area of trust is a comparison between us and Bernie Madoff. It's a low bar. Actually, Nehemiah sets the bar really high for the level of trust. So when we read the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, we learn that Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the king. And I know what you're thinking. Tim, cupbearers are like, that's a glorified table. You know, they're just holding the cup. I, I thought that too. I looked into it a little bit more. Cupbearers were a very important role for a king. They would clean the cup. They would choose the wine. They would fill the cup. And they'd take a little bit into their hand and sip it so that they could prove to the, to the king that it wasn't poisoned. Cupbearers were the, the last line of defense, arguably the most important line of defense in protecting the king. You had to be very trusted to be in that position. But not only that, because you were there at the table, you were, you were exposed to all the intimate conversations of the king. You were there for, the, for the, the, the personal conversations, the strategic conversations, and actually you became a trusted advisor to the king because of your proximity and the level of trust that he had in you. It's, uh, you, you, you had a, an incredible level of influence in your position, but it could be broken in an instant if you broke the king's trust. So the key thing to look for in a cupbearer is trust. Trust that they will do their job correctly to keep you alive and keep you safe. Trust to keep your conversations confidential. And most importantly, trust to know that they won't be turned against you and become your assassin. Because they're the easiest ones who could do it. So cupbearers had to be of faithful and impressive character. Well, workers have to be of faithful and impressive character. Are you a trustworthy worker? Do you follow through on what you say you will do? Do you keep things confidential? And do you look out for the well-being and safety of those you work for and with? Because in the example of Nehemiah, this is one of the first things that we, sh we see we should be packing in our bag when we go to work. Trust sets us apart. It makes us dependable, reliable. Someone our bosses can, can turn to to get things done. I don't need to convince you of the value of trust. And it's what everybody's looking for in a, in a, in a partner, in, in, in a, an employer, in, in a boss, in, a, in, a, in an employee, even our mechanic or our phone provider, we're looking for trust that they will deliver on what they say they will do. Trust takes a long time to build up, but it can be broken in an instant. And so maintaining trust is key. 
But when we do that, what we learn from Nehemiah is when we, when we take trust with us to work, we can actually find favor from our bosses. Nehemiah goes from this moment, he then gets sent off to build the, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And he's sent away for 12 years. 12 years. His boss just says, yep. Well, doesn't just say yep. But he asks him what he wanted and he's away for 12 years rebuilding his kingdom. King Artaxerxes shows him incredible favor based on the trust that he has. And, and whilst we're in this, in this place of the cupbearer, I wonder if you sometimes forget that you have a position of influence. This is not one of my main points, but I couldn't go past it. Do you have a, do you have a position of influence in, in your workplace? Like, whose cup are you bearing? Whose who's, who's trust, whose who's advice, who, who is turning to you for advice? You know? And maybe even that cup is literally you are bearing your toddler's cup every day of the week. Well, I encourage you that you have so much influence there. And I hope that that encourages you. So the first thing we pack is trust. The second thing is prayer. Nehemiah was a prayer. And I mean a prayer. Nehemiah is a 13-chapter book, and there are 14 recorded prayers. He's, the average is good. But he's, uh, he's praying for big things and little things. In verse 4 that we've just read, we see him clearly asking God for, advisors, uh, for advice right between, in the middle of a conversation. The king asks him, what is it what you want? And then it says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. But what we didn't read is in chapter 1, he spends four months, having heard that the, the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed, he spends four months praying and crying out to God. Four months. Crazy. Well, what are you doing when you get to work? Do you have prayer in your back pocket? When you get a question from your boss, are you, are you asking God for guidance and wisdom? When you have a big strategic decision to make in your own career, are you spending four months in prayer asking God what to do? I know I'm preaching to myself. I need to do that more. <laughs> Are you bringing both your little and your big work prayers to God when you're at work too? You know, are you, are you, is prayer just something you keep in your personal life? Or is it something that you're willing to take into your professional life too? So I want to encourage us today that when we, when we see in Nehemiah, when he prays, he, get, he receives wisdom and guidance from God. I know I would love more wisdom and guidance from God at work. So chuck prayer in your work bag too. Okay, let's continue into Nehemiah chapter 6, and we read from verse 1 to 4. Then the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Jeshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time I, had not see, uh, I did not see the doors in the gates, uh, I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Jeshem sent me this message. <clears throat> Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. <clears throat> so the next thing we're encouraged to pack with us when we go to work from Nehemiah is focus. 
we read in verse 3 that he replies to the distraction of his enemies that I am doing a great project and that cannot go down. He remains focused. When you're working, do you become easily distracted? Do you lose track of your priorities or do you get caught up trying to always deal with what looks like the most pressing, pressing issue? Or maybe you get caught up with all the office gossip and and all the things that could potentially harm your career because you get so worried about the 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 new task that your your colleague has been asked to do or the new opportunity that they're given and you see it as a threat to your own personal progression you take every piece of feedback as an attack on your ability and let it distract you do you lose your focus when we focus on the right things at work when we, when we even keep God in focus when we're at work we're protected Nehemiah is protected by his en- from his enemies when he remains focused on his role Proverbs 4.25 says let your eyes look straight ahead fix your gaze directly before you and Colossians 3 verse 2 says set your minds on things above not on earthly things, i.e. keep things in focus. When we do that, we can find protection. And the last thing that we're, we need to take with us when we go to work is to do a good work. It's not the title of the series for nothing. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, we just as we just read, we, he's doing a great project. But in verse 15, It says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Wow, 52 days. When all enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. We are called to do good work for God. Colossians 2.23, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Proverbs 18, one who is slack in his works is the brother to the one who destroys. We're called to do a good work. And when we do that, we glorify God. When we do that, our enemies notice. When we do that, God is glorified. When we do that, the invisible God becomes visible. And we don't have to work so hard trying to get people to church. They're getting themselves here because we're different. Our good work makes us more like Christ. He wouldn't do anything that wasn't good. So we should try and do the same. Let's let our work do the talking. But as we close, I want to remind you that when we do all that, it's not in our own strength. You know, even just now, at the end of chapter 6, the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done, not just purely by the hands of the people who did it, but with the help of our God. We have to do it with God on our side. We have to have God in our backpack. We have to have God with us when we go to work. 
So I want to spend a, a, a second now just inviting you and encouraging you. If you don't even have God in your bag at work, if God is not part of your life, I want to give you a moment to let Him in because all of these other things are secondary to that. Whether it's trust, whether it's prayer, whether it's focus, whether it's doing a good work, if it's not grounded in God, it won't nearly be as powerful. So we're all going to close our eyes. And we do that just because it, this moment is between you and God. It's, it, it's nothing more spiritual than that. I just want you to focus on God. And if you'd like to accept Him into your heart, if you'd like to, Him to be part of your life, I, would, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. We're all going to pray it together. You're going to pray it in your heart. But Heavenly Father, I want you. I choose you. And I want you by my side. I know I'm not perfect. I know that I need you. So I ask you to come into my life. I commit my life to you. And believe that you are who you say you are. I choose you today your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you in church again this weekend. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au.